This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. So I want to start by apologizing. Uh, we had hellish, and I, I literally mean hellish. Like, it was a nightmare for me over the past week. Hellish technical difficulties here at the radio station. I didn't have enough free time to do the pod. I feel so bad about that. Um, I want to apologize for that, but I also... As someone that I don't own Scoop Duck, and I don't get paid to say this about Scoop Duck, I'm so thankful for you guys and the community at Scoop Duck and just how kind everybody was and supportive, and I I feel really affirmed by that. I don't know about you, Justin, but it just really hit home to me. You don't just run a site, you manage a community, and I I was really hit by that last week. I was floored by it. Yeah, it you know, it, it reminded me, you know, just it's it's something little, you know, there's the times and everybody I feel like everybody's just, you know, bitching at each other or, or you know, this or that. But, um, you know, we obviously missed the podcast last week, which I, I totally get. I, mean, I missed it. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed doing it, especially coming off of Washington, you know, at the time a Washington win, a, a big Washington win um, and then previewing uh, the pirate, one of our favorites. But um you know people reaching out on twitter on the site and 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 in other ways like man bummed you you know i had people texting me i had people texting me legitimately no podcast this week you know that's awesome um you know yeah just it didn't come together you know apologies for that We're, we're definitely not perfect we try to get everything in as we can but um it's just it's really cool to see that and then another thing um you know this was private it wasn't done on the board but i had one of the uh scoop duck members uh message me privately and say hey look i have two tickets um you know for the usc oregon game this weekend uh really good tickets people you know a couple people be sitting with me but we'd be you know 30-ish yard line 10 12 rows up great great seats like if you know somebody um i'm willing to give them to them at a parking pass so uh, kept that off the board, but worked that through the back end and found somebody that was able to go and wanted to go. And, you know, it's just cool. Like it's somebody that says, Hey, look, I don't post a lot, but I really wanted, you know, you to have a chance to, you know, get these to somebody on your site. And I, I would love for it to be a duck fan, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of stuff that, uh, you know, that gets done on the site. And again, back to the podcast, um, you know, just, I'm, I feel like we sit in here and we, kill time for an hour and a half or whatever it ends up being <laughs> and laugh a little bit and, and, and spout some crap and occasionally get really, really terrific guests. And then, uh, you know, I realize that people enjoy it. I mean, right. I, I enjoy doing it, but people, you know, really enjoy it. And it's, I think something that you've hit on, there's a lot of podcasts out there and I don't mean like for all kinds of things. I mean, just in the duck, duckosphere. too many. Yeah. There's a lot. And, you know, for people to really enjoy ours and I've had a number of people ask, about us doing them more than once a week and just because they really enjoy them. And so, you know, it says a lot to me. Um, 
just to be honest, it would be a lot of work. Right. Uh, I'm not saying no, but we're you know we're probably going to stick with the one a week format at least through football season this year. You'd have to get your friends at Hop Valley to start chipping in with some funds. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could do that. <laughs> yeah, we could we could work that angle. But yeah, I think for this year we'll probably just we're going to keep it going status quo. But that said, we did miss last week, so I feel like we're making up for it this week. Yeah. A little I, bit. I got to crack jokes. You, you've yep. got more connections to the beer industry than just about anybody on the planet. Adam Schefter of Duck Football yeah. and the Adam Schefter of Oregon Micro Brew, Justin oh, yeah. Hopkins. Um, really jam-packed pod this week. We're obviously going to recap the last two weeks. Incredible wins. Ducks on top in control of their destiny in the Pac-12. Uh, but we've also got four guests. Four guests. Four. Yeah. A quad pack. And that's awesome. It's going to be bang, 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 bang. That was four, right? Yeah. Bang, 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 bang. That's That's a lot of bangs. That's a lot of bangs, yeah. QB11, who I love chatting with because he, you know, Scoop Duck readers, you guys know, the rest of you might not. He is an X's and O's savant. Uh, Hid Day as well, addicted to quack and scoop duck. He's going to join us, give us another angle. I love the stats and the history and all that that he wraps in. And then your guy down in SoCal, Scott Schrader. Scott Schrader covers USC. Uh, we'll get him on, kind of get the angle and the vibe down there and, and, and see what, you know, obviously this is a big game this weekend. It's a big game this weekend, so we'll see. Uh, you know, it's kind of what 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 the chatter is on that end at the very least. But uh, that'll be another good one. Yeah, and then this is the perfect time of the year. You've got everything going on in the pros. Mm-hmm. World Series Game Seven tonight as we're taping. What's oh, tonight? Yeah, yeah. I, can't... I can tell you're a baseball fan. <laughs> <laughs> I was only watching for the boobies, man. And I got <laughs> no, and I think I turned it on. I think I saw the seventh inning last night or something like that. I just happened to turn it on. I'm like, all right, there's nothing else on. And there were no boobies. No, there was none. I know. No. Hey, I'm right there with you. Yep. That was that's my favorite story of the whole postseason. That's pretty but, yeah, pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um a whole lot going on in the pros, but also we're we're at that apex where you've got college football. Yes. And you got college basketball. Yeah. The golden triangle of athletics. Right. Yeah. So we get to dive into that a little bit with Aaron Torres. Yeah. Excited to have Aaron. Um, you know, you and I are recording this podcast here mid-morning or so. I uh, just published an article a couple hours ago from Aaron. You know, spoke with Jalen Green and Namari Burnett, a couple five stars down in the Napa area. Uh, Oregon recently hosted Namari Burnett. Um, you know, Torres went to, uh, uh, was at their school, talked to them face-to-face, got a little bit of a vibe from them, but but... But besides that, Aaron's also big in the college basketball world. He's following all the teams, and and and, spe- and he does pay a lot of attention to the Pac-12. And so we'll just we, we won't just pigeonhole him into recruiting. We'll talk about right. basketball and get an unbiased look from him on you know this Duck men's basketball team and the and the Pac-12 and and just kind of you know some thoughts there. Five star Dana, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it floors me because. We, we all expect the Oregon women to be great. Right. They just came out number one in the AP poll this morning. Uh, more votes than UConn, more votes than Baylor and the Blue Bloods. We know they're going to kick ass. Yeah. The men, we hope they're going to be good. Uh, uh, the Pac-12 coaches think they're going to be good, but you just never know. You don't and, know. Yeah. and the Pac-12 is such a grinder. Yes. You might destroy Arizona one weekend, you lose to UCLA the next. Right. And then and then the Beavs beat you in Corvallis. It's yeah. just a, a total magic eight ball, yeah. if you will. But 
if the Oregon men and the Oregon women are great, we might have the best basketball season in Oregon history. You might have the best basketball season of any college program's history. Right. Yeah, I mean, to potentially. I mean, you're obviously, you know, a, a big if. I think the men men came in around 15, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, women are number one. But, I mean, just to be, you know, having both teams, obviously, you know, preseason favorites, if you will, Um yeah, I, yeah, it's going to be crazy. The, the men's team, obviously, so many more questions. Um, and you just kind of wonder, you know, are all these guys going to gel right away? Just a, lo- a lot of questions there. But but the one constant, the one consistent is Dana Altman. Right. He's had a lot of different players in the lo- you know, last you know, six, seven years. And somehow, come February, come March... He's got a team that's clicking. I bagged on Dana a lot last year. I thought that team was flat. I thought they needed an alpha. Yeah. But when he figured out a formula and that defense started dominating like they did and went on that run in Vegas where they just killed everybody in the Pac-12 and then kept it up in the tournament and, and had Virginia on the ropes, that won me over. Yeah. It's, I don't know what team comes out this season, but if you get a defense like that, you can win anything. Yeah, yeah, and he obviously returning a Coro and and having Peyton Pritchard. If you go back and, and you look at a lot of the um, the most successful college basketball teams, most notably in, in March Madness, okay, uh, there's always been a, a couple of constants, and that's first of all experience uh, from your coach and from your players, right. Uh, second one is a experienced point guard or a good point guard. You know, somebody doesn't turn the ball over a lot. That's the second ingredient. The third one is where you're able to protect the paint. You're returning Francis Socorro, and I don't think any player grew more than he did last year from start to finish. Right. And uh, so if you're looking at it, just you've got the ingredients, you know, right now. But, you you, you know, I think, I, I think we're probably going to hit some bumps with this team early. I think there will be some bumps. That's just my opinion right now. And then again, maybe mid-season, you start to see them maybe kind of morph into like, hey, maybe that is the team we all thought they'd be. That but looks like a Dana Altman team. We're gonna find a run. out. We're gonna find out early though in Memphis. You know, with Memphis. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's, yeah. And then tonight's the uh, green yellow game, the scrimmage, green yellow scrimmage. Right. So you know, maybe get a little preview and a taste there. I know that's streaming on the Pac-12, but um, I don't know that everybody will get to see it or not. But yeah, I think it's a stream on the Pac-12. Uh, online site, not on not on television, mm-hmm. but I think you can watch it that way. And I love the timing of that. Just just the fact that the football team is on the road. Yeah. So for all the diehards in the Eugene area, that they aren't gonna go to a football game this weekend. Right. They get that outlet. Yeah. Get something. Yeah. You get to go watch something. And uh, I think you know. Again, obviously, you're really excited to watch the men's basketball team because of so many unknowns, so many new faces. And then you're really excited to watch the women's team because they're going to be badass at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. 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 So, but that's hoops. We're going to talk about that later with Torres. Let's get QB 11 on first. Let's talk a little football. We're still in football. We're going to we're in the heat of the season. And, uh, you know, that's obviously, the, you know, we're a football centric podcast. But um, let's get QB 11 on our first guest and start banging these guys out. He knows X's and O's better than anybody, and he can tell us all about the Ducks' last two impressive wins. They beat UW, they beat Wazoo, the Pac-12 is in their grasps. He's going to break it down. QB 11. 
He's QB 11. We just hyped him up for, what, three, four minutes there, talking X's and O's, how excited we are to talk Oregon football with this guy. Uh, you read him on Scoop Duck, QB 11. My man, first question from me, I am a busy guy on Saturdays. I got my honeydew list. I, I'm not as tied into the tape as as you are and, and, and Jay Hop and the writers at Scoop Duck, but I just see those scores. I think shootouts. I think the defense might have had a rough night on those two games. Uh, What's your takeaway on that? Do you feel like the Ducks are are still looking great defensively despite the scores? Well, I think think that when you play two polar opposites like Washington and Washington State on a week-to-week basis, um, you get exposed in one way because every every team has weaknesses. And then the following week, you get stressed and stretched a completely different direction with different concepts. And a really unique way of playing offense. I know that Cristobal compared it to Georgia Tech when they were running the wishbone. And it, it's kind of a similar thing because it's so different than everything else you see. So um, I think basically the, the weaknesses of the defense that so we already knew existed, but we've been able to cover up against inferior offenses, uh, just kind of came to bear a little bit more. And I still think we executed at a high level. Um. I agree with you. You know, like you said, if you if you play Washington one week uh, and you go and make adjustments, you know, in that in that next week after, uh, you get hit with something else, and then you have to make adjustments again. So I guess my question to coming off of that is, uh, you know, Washington State and USC run similar offenses. I don't think it's fair to call them the same, but they're they're a lot more similar uh, than what Oregon's seen the last two weeks. Uh, that seemed to be something that should at least try to better prepare this defense for what they're about to experience at USC this weekend? I think in some cases, yes, but in some cases, no, because the things that worked against us before um, weren't necessarily because of bad planning by the coaching staff or the, or, or uh, coach Avalos in the defense. So you'd have to think that they're going to attack some of the same personnel deficiencies and or uh, weaknesses in the defense that we still, we already had displayed. So for instance, against Washington, we were, we or Washington State, we started a new inside linebacker, Drew Mathis, who hadn't played any football against a really tough team that's gonna that's gonna single him out and attack him. And they did the same thing to our boundary safeties, who are or better in run support than they are in the passing game. So those those weaknesses still exist. Hopefully, Troy Dye comes back, which will definitely help because he sinks in with those underneath zones with um, a little bit better quickness because he's seen it more. But there's, uh, I think that there's definitely some concern and there's going to be some crossover between what Washington State did and what USC is going to attempt to do. Uh, I'm with you. I think Troy Dye was a big loss there, um, probably more so just from his presence and his knowledge than anything, maybe not just the pure tackle numbers or anything like that. Is that something that's a reasonably fair assessment from you? And it would appear as though his particular skill set should be very valuable against a team like USC that's going to be similar to Washington State? Absolutely, because when you think of a team that uh, Troy Dye has built to stop, it's a team like that that can that can stress the field vertically. He can drop into those. You've seen Oregon with Troy Dye even run some Tampa 2 stuff because he can gain so much ground in this backpedal. So um, they're going to they're gonna run at him because that's what his weakness is, whereas with Drew Mathis, who hasn't seen a lot of football, you're going to go at him in the passing game and, and make a move and – that's really the difference between those two guys. So, yeah, I agree. Tell me a little bit about some of the concepts that you are concerned about with regards to USC. Because you mentioned that there's going to be some crossover. They'll like some things Wazoo did on tape. Walk me through that. Well, I'm worried worried mostly about the spacing stuff and the underneath zones. Again, hopefully Troy Dye can help remedy some of this stuff. But 
Uh, we have to play off coverage on the slot just because we don't have the horses to really line up with the Monroe St. Brown. So if, if they can just freely find him in the underneath zones for the for the first half of the game, it's going to force us to play coverages that we're less comfortable with from a personnel standpoint. So um, that's something that really concerns me. Um, as well as, again, you have a guy like Michael Pittman. If they play a lot of three-by-one with him to the single field side, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge for Lenore or Graham or whoever it ends up being to, to really lock him down because you're going to have to have that free safety shaded to the trips. Uh, super quick one for you. This is the best uh, group of wide receivers Oregon should face all year. You agree? 100%. It's really not close. Yeah, I mean these guys are athletic freaks, and they were, you know, they were highly regarded four and five stars for a reason coming out of high school. I'm going to flip things over. Um, I think we've talked about defense a little bit, and there's always plenty to talk about uh, offense. I, I think I want to get something out of the way first because I think it's a misconception about about you and your feelings. Um, I'm not going to say that you're in the Herbert number one fan club, but you're also not in the I hate Justin Herbert <laughs> fan club either. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems like, you know, you and I might post things on the board and anything negative gets, you know, taken a certain direction. I guess I'm, I'm giving you an option to kind of say, hey, here's where I'm at with Herbert. I, I think he's got the talent, but, you know, maybe the consistency is the key or, or whatever your opinion is on Herbert. Yeah, well, I think it's pretty funny because I've been probably accused of being a sunshine pumper more than anybody. And I actually have a critical opinion of somebody, and it gets misconstrued. So, um, my my issue with the way that Herbert's played the game this year, and I think it's starting to manifest itself in the way that we've called games. Uh, talking about Cristobal and Arroyo, is even when we isolate him in single field reads, he's either hesitant, he's slow to slow to to pull the trigger. He's not very decisive. And I have I, I've had this feeling since Taggart came in. I don't know if people remember after the Nebraska game, his sophomore year. I posted that he's, he has a hard time reading the uh, and, and deciphering the picture, the difference between the, the pre-snap and the post-snap. And teams are seeing that, and they're starting to do even more complex coverages against him, which is going to only cause more problems. So my biggest issue with Herbert has nothing to do with physical ability, obviously. He's got the strongest arm of probably any quarterback ever, ever at Oregon. He's got great athleticism. Um, he's, he's obviously a smart kid. He's a thoughtful kid. It's just a matter of, being a 4.0 student doesn't necessarily translate to being a guy who can make quick decisions under fire. And you're starting to see that with some of the times in the, in the pocket. He's, um, he's, he's felt phantom pressure and escapes against three-man rushes into, into a rush where there really wasn't any danger of, of pressure or some situa- situational awareness where we're sliding before the first down on third and long. And So those are the types of things that he can work on. But at the same time, he does some really good things in terms of um, he can press the ball down the field, especially in between the in between the hashes and third and long situations. He hung in the pocket in the third or fourth quarter against Washington State and really delivered a, a, a dime to Jalen Red and in crunch time. So it's just a matter of consistency. It's a matter of processing, seeing the picture, and then being decisive instead of because uh, if you throw it to guys when they're open, they're going to become covered. So you have to throw them open so that there's opportunities for yards after catch, which we really haven't seen this year. Right. I, I'm so fascinated by that angle, guys. You talk about how, and, and I saw it firsthand, fans all, all thought you were uh, a bit of a sunshine pumper there, QB, <laughs> and people joking about how you thought they were going to drill Oregon in the Auburn game and all that, and then you get a little critical, and it, it's really not that you were that critical. People just, they want to hear what they want to hear. Right. I, think, I think there is a, a pretty big anti-Justin camp 
and I'm fascinated by it because last year it was an anti-Arroyo camp. Yeah. Have, have you changed your opinion on Marcus Arroyo, and how do you feel about the play calling the last couple of weeks? Well, last year I was indifferent on Arroyo and Herbert for the most part because I felt like the receiver group and just the pass catcher um, position in general really held the offense back and didn't even give Justin the opportunity outside of Dylan Mitchell to to show if if he had those problems or if the offense itself from a structural level had the issues that some might have thought it did. So I was I went into this this year with an open mind in regards to the offense and the quarterback play. Um, the receivers have really stepped up, and I think that that position has become somewhat of a strength. And we're not elite yet, but I would say that we're good at least, um, both at tight end and receiver as pass catchers. And what we're seeing is that, that the play calling is being used to protect Justin instead of let him go out and win us games. Because, frankly, from what we've seen, he's, he's, he's going to protect the ball, but he's, he's more of a game manager in terms of stylistically. So right. I think they've done a really good job of using control plays to keep the blitz, blitz down, using a lot of screens and stuff to punish teams that want to bring pressure and overload pressure against our offensive line. And I think that they've done a really good job protecting him instead of making him go out there and possibly exposing him for not having some of the, the processing and decisiveness down the field that we would like to have. No, I totally agree with you. And I know that game manager is, is a derogatory term in 2019. We all want Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and gunslingers, but I think it's excellent what Oregon's doing and, and, and making the most potentially out of Justin Herbert. Yeah, the only problem that's going to arise is when Oregon plays a team that really matches up well with us in the front seven or up front and or a team that can score basically like a team like Alabama or Ohio State, if we were to get into the playoff, if a team gets up on us, we have to take the uh, yeah. the the training wheels off and let them push the ball down the field. And I'm worried right. that that's going to result in a lot of sacks because we haven't shown the ability to throw the ball away when things break down. So, you know, I agree with you. And it's obviously we're talking about this here in a public light. It's not like you and I talked about this before the podcast. I, I agree with you. And I think the biggest frustration with Justin Herbert isn't that he can't do great things. And that he can't make mistakes. It's just that it's a lack of consistency on either either side from him. It's you know it's it's Jekyll and Hyde almost. And my question to you, based on that, is you know Marcus Arroyo is really judged on two things: basically developing quarterbacks and running the offense. You know, I feel pretty strongly that I think he's done a really good job with the offense this year. Has it been perfect? No, it hasn't been perfect, but it's been pretty phenomenal. Like you said, to probably limit or minimize you know, some of the weaknesses of Justin Herbert's game. So the other part of that is, is developing quarterbacks. Now, if Justin Herbert's having trouble processing, uh, you know, defenses pre and post snap, is that something that is fairly coachable or is it somewhat of an, an innate type of, uh, you know, personality trait that really just might be something that haunts him for the rest of his career? Well, at this point, he's baked in. He kind of is what he is, and the same thing from a mechanical standpoint. So I think in terms of judging um, Arroyo on the quarterback developer, you're going to have to look and see what he does with the guys that he's recruited and brought in. And you want to see a larger sample size than one guy because the problem is, is that it, being decisive and throwing the ball and anticipating the ball is, is more of an instincts thing. I mean, you look at there's a lot of guys – who have come out of, out of college football with big arms, with big physical ability, how many of those guys have turned into great quarterbacks at, right. the, at the NFL level? Because the NFL, everyone can throw the ball. Everyone's big, strong, and fast. But what it comes down to is being able to, to diagnose those pictures 
and, and do it quickly and then make and make the right read. And so those are uh, those are the question marks that Justin's going to have around him as he goes through the draft process. And I think he'll do a really good job when he goes in um, and does meetings with teams. I think he'll do a great job on the board because I think he's a smart kid. I think he knows. I just think that when the live shots start getting fired, he uh, he hesitates. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, last thing I want to hit you with before, because uh, I know you got, uh, like, first of all, uh, you know, the watch parties, we want to thank you once again for those because I know folks are absolutely loving them and eating them alive. And um, I know it takes time out of your day, but it really helps enlighten. Even if somebody takes one or two things away, it doesn't mean they have to agree with everything you're pointing out. It's just kind of, hey, you know, I, I think a perfect example is when you watch uh, the throw from Herbert to Webb and you realize that Justin, you know, uh, Spencer Webb had been standing there for two and a half seconds, you know, wide open. Um, you know, just kind of being able to see that on a replay makes a big difference. I'm going to send you out on this, though. Uh, we've seen C.J. Verdell put on an absolutely phenomenal performance this past week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just a monster back there. Uh, what did you kind of see from the run game from what you rewatched that really made that thing click uh, for Oregon and for C.J. Verdell? Well, I think it's a two-parter. The first part is the offensive line has really gelled over the last, I would say, progressively gotten better um, in terms of their combo blocks, deuce blocks, getting up to the second level. And ever since we played Washington, the run game has really been fully opened up in terms of what we're going to do throughout the season. Um, they even added a new wrinkle last week where they would do the little crack block with the tight end and then they'd get Panay out on the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stole that from Washington the week before. Um, so you've seen the offensive line improve. They're, they're picking things up better. They're seeing things better. They're really getting into mid to late season form. And then you're seeing Verdell run with better footwork, patience, and, and body language. That body language. And what I'm saying with that is, um, he's been a, he's run with a lot of lean, and he's always finished runs hard. Um, but sometimes he's had his weight too much out over his toes to where he doesn't have the contact balance to really to really adjust when 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 he gets hit. So um, he's running with better footwork. He's running with better pad level. He's more balanced. He's breaking more tackles, and he's seeing things because he's he's reading his keys. And I think that's really an attestment to uh, what what Jim Mastro has done with him over the course of the year. Because you've seen it on a game to game basis. He's slowly starting to get it, and then I think last week he really got it. And I would, if you were going to grade him, he probably hit on ninety percent of the stuff that was there. Right. I I think that brings up good a good point because effort's never been a question of Verdell. But like you said, some of those uh, what we'll call a shoestring tackle have been really frustrating because the, the lanes are there, the yardage is there, but you're just seeing them tripped up over kind of simple things like, man, how can he not you know pick his feet up or have better balance? Um, I think that I think like you said, you point out something that's been really much improved the last two weeks for him, uh, two to three weeks, and probably uh, is a big reason why the run game was so impressive last week. Uh, I'm going to send you out on this. Well, Go ahead. One more, one more thing with that too. It, it's it's not necessarily that his footwork has changed. It's that he's running with a different balance. And so he's not – when he was trying to finish every run as hard as he could, I mean, give him credit, he was putting his body on the line and really getting after it. Right. Now now he's now he's actually putting himself in a position. And part of that has to do with not just running 1,000 miles an hour to the hole. He's starting to run with better patience and pace. And so it's good to see him develop into a more patient runner because that's going to – if he does that, it's not going to be a one-game thing. It's going to be something that he can continue to build on for the rest of his career. No, and that's that's big coming down the stretch too, being able to run like that uh, for him and for Oregon. Uh, Oregon goes to Los Angeles this weekend. I believe you're going down. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, I am. Re- real real quick, how you feeling about this game? I feel good about it. They're talented. Um, there's no no questioning that they have playmakers offensively, and um, it's actually a pretty good matchup for them. I would say the weakness of our defense is kind of 
the back seven through the middle in terms of coverage stuff. Yeah. Um, not that our linebackers are poor in coverage, but we definitely are young and at safety and, uh, we, we, we could definitely stand to improve there still from a recruiting basis, which I think you're seeing a concerted effort with Bennett Williams, Avante Williams, and those guys, so, yeah. and Miles Flusher. So um, that, that concerns me. Defensively, I think that it's a really good matchup for us, though, because they, they're just going to try to stand in there and play big on big with us. And frankly, I, don't, I haven't seen the development from their guys inside, both strength and conditioning-wise and technique-wise, to do that. So right. I think that this is the type of team that's going to try to play bully ball, and they're going to get bullied. Yeah, that would uh, well. I mean, that would be the uh, total Helton move to try and go toe to toe with Oregon, but it wouldn't surprise me. That would be a huge mistake if he did. I, I just picture those edge <laughs> rushers like Kayvon Thibodeau pinning yeah. his ears back and oh, eating yeah. lunch. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. And if you're gonna try to go to yeah, toe, well, you know, oh, you're, go ahead, sorry. Or you're gonna try and take on Jordan Scott in the middle. He's just gonna eat those guys for lunch. Yeah. I mean. Seriously. Yeah, because they haven't proven they're they're more. I don't. I don't like to call them finesse blockers, but they do a lot of zone stuff, more pin and pull. Sure. They're, they don't. They don't really dig guys out in the middle. Um, I'm talking about defensively for them. They've got those big guys in the middle, Sliapupu, Peely, and Tufele, and they really aren't super athletic on the edge. They're young with the guys that are athletic on the edge, and they've been banged up there. So right. if they just try to spill everything, I think they're going to have a hard time with contain because this is the two best tackles that they're going to see all season with Sewell and Drockhorn. So. I really like the matchup for our offensive line. They're not going to do a lot of the quick stunt stuff and stem stuff that Washington State does, which has been traditionally what's given our offensive line problems. Yes. So yeah. much cleaner look for us. We're going to see a lot more basic stuff in the front seven, and I think we're going to be able to just kind of pound the rock on them. No, I agree. I, uh, th- that would be my recipe if I'm Mario Cristobal, just t- turn around and hand the ball to Verdell if he keeps running like he is. Yeah, and, yep. make, and make him stop it. Um, no, we appreciate your time, QB. I know you got work to do and, and a life to live, so we appreciate you being on here and, and all the stuff you do on Scoop Duck. And uh, we will get you back on here again in, within the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, brother. I call you the Adam Schefter of duck football, just knowing how you operate and the scoops that you get. But QB 11, man, there's, there's a lot of NFL X's and O's people. Yeah. I don't know many college football X's and O's people that talk about the game the way he does. It's like having an interview with an extra offensive coordinator. Yeah, and the I think the part that gets uh, overlooked is not only that. You know, all all that knowledge um, that he's able to share is fantastic. The way that he's able to make it relatable. Uh, you know, because a lot of times we'll just even Mario Cristobal. You hear them talk about certain you know, functions or certain things that happen in a game or technical things. And, you know, they're so far this direction that the the common fans, like, I literally have no idea what you just said right now. And right. I watch football every day, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, somebody like QB 11, you know, he might give you some of the, the buzzwords or the terms that, that coaches use, but he'll follow it up with, but this is what I mean when I say that, mm-hmm. you know? So um, he doesn't just tell you, you know, he does, doesn't just say combo block he tries to explain what that is, you yeah. know? So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot to learn there. Um, you know, making it, uh, relatable is, is definitely undervalued. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really fortunate to have him as a part of the site. You know, if you haven't watched his watch parties, he's doing them on Twitch. So he's, what he's doing, he's live streaming them, you know, after the game, usually the night after or two nights after. So Sunday or Monday night, usually, and you, you just hop on. It's obviously it's a totally free service. You hop on, 
and he's he's going through the game and he'll literally you know pause it rewind it freeze it whatever and say hey look at what's happening right here this is what this guy should be doing or here's what we're trying to do and this is what they're doing defensively and and really just educate you on the game you yeah. know so uh again doesn't sit on there and, and and get on and say you know watch this terrible throw by herbert watch this terrible read by herbert it's you know hey this is probably what he should have done or hey this was a really good throw by herbert good anticipation whatever the case might be i just you know i know you do the radio hits in portland mm-hmm. uh you do a lot dirt and sprague on on 1080 sure and then you, obviously i was i was riffing about that beer hat that you rocked <laughs> on national television the other day uh over on uh, the blazer flagship 620 but i just picture him doing those same interviews and and doing it in a way that is totally different from an answer that i could give sure or an answer that you could give yeah. or or one of your competitors he just talks about the game in a totally different way right. and i love it in an educational way yeah yeah no it's great it, it's been a great part of our site um you know i love what he had to say about the run game i really loved honestly one of the last questions there about cj verdell and maybe what's kind of changed the last couple of weeks he's and, hitting home runs now yeah i mean you know and i agree i mean one of the things even on the message board that the the, the common fan you know, hey, C.J. Verdell made a couple cuts last week. Yeah, he did, you know, and it really opened up for, a, uh, uh, you know, instead of being a, a three, four-yard gain, it was a, a 12, 13-yard gain. Right. You know, those big chunk plays are a huge part of the offense. I remember thinking back, Mario Cristobal said something, uh, it was earlier in the year, I think it was before season even started, uh, just about, you know, uh, having X amount of chunk plays in a game leads to much better success. It increases the, the success rate of your offense exponentially. Right. Uh, you know, so if you're Oregon, you know, that's, that's what you're looking for. It can't just all be chunk plays. You still got to get, you know, down and dirty and grind some yards out. But, you know, having those, instead of having to go three or four yards at a time down the entire length of the field, you know, picking up a 15 yarder or two along the way really helps the offensive line for sure. And the way I see that, because that is an excellent point about Verdell and the growth that he's made. We've had multiple guests come on the pod this fall and talk about how Oregon has a lot of good backs, yeah, but they didn't see a great back. Right. They didn't see a guy that could have that home run, yeah. that big explosive long touchdown run. And when you add that to the offense, yep. look at what C.J. Verdell has done the last two weeks. You force the defense to to play that much more honestly and yeah. and much more. I, I would I would say paranoid, but paranoid's not the right word. No. Just much more focused on the play it. action. Yeah, they got to respect it. A yeah, lot more. Yeah. And it, and it, for for the Oregon offense, when those linebackers have to to really focus on the play action and treat the run. It opens up everything you want to do. Yeah, because as as the offense, what you're wanting to do to the defense is is slow them down and make them think. Right. Even if it's a half second or a second, you know, and that's one of the things that QB talked about with Oregon's linebackers is, you know, they're a little bit young, so I think on some of those instances they're having to stop and think, which slows them down from being able to make the play or making the play sooner or whatever the case might be. Yeah. One thing on Verdell, before we stream away from that, uh, C.J. Verdell from the first five weeks of this season – if he's out there, Oregon doesn't win that game against Washington State. I agree. Period. I agree. So the only thing that's changed, nothing else, nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is the continued coaching and development by Jim Mastro of C.G. Verdell. He didn't become a different running back. He really hasn't been injured for the most part. He's just continued to develop and get coached and take in the coaching. And, you know, like uh, QB said, he's taken uh, his, his contact balance is better. 
And so if he's running with better pad level and he's, his footwork's better, obviously Jim Mastro has been working on that last few weeks. So mm-hmm. I just want to throw that out there because I think Mastro gets a bad rap. I think a lot of people, oh, you know, need a new running back, need a new running back coach. You do not need a new running back coach, I promise. Yeah, He's probably, if not the best, he's one of the best nationally. Uh, you, you're not going to improve from a gym master. I thought it was funny reading those comments on Scoop Duck because I lurk. Yeah, you know, I I read like on the podcast and stuff. And when you see people make fun of Jim Mastro, it, it's kind of like Tom Cable with my Raiders. He's not just a position coach. Yeah, he's a run game coordinator. Right. He's a guy that is is really you've got Marcus Arroyo is is the OC, but then you've got OC Light in yes. Mastro yeah. who who knows that offense from a philosophical standpoint and and can really translate everything in a different way for that whole offense. The contribution that he makes and and the the capabilities of that Oregon offense go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean I I I feel confident saying this, you know, if if for any reason Marcus Royo was not Oregon's offensive coordinator, I believe Jim Mastro could step in and wouldn't skip a beat. No doubt. Uh, I, I say that wholeheartedly, and it's not a knock on Arroyo in any certain way. I'm saying that's the type of capability he has. And, and again, I think you know, you're know you looking for coaches to develop players and, and, and do their jobs. Well, you're talking about C.J. Verdell, who hasn't changed over this year, much better player. And, and obviously that showed up this past week. If that can continue, uh, I mean, the offensive line play has been there the last couple of weeks. You know, I don't think really that's changed all that much. No, the Penn A. Sewell highlight film, except for that uh, phantom false start yeah, call. Yeah, Pancake Penn false start. Yeah. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Unreal. You were having fun with that on Saturday night. That, it was, I mean, some of these calls, like, I, I, I can't say that I'm the last person to pick on refing, but I'm pretty low down the chart, and that was effing awful yeah it was it was a clinic of what not to do saturday night and i don't even i, I feel bad riff ripping on it just because i don't like to pick on refs and i don't like to i don't like to use that as an excuse oh we lost because of the refs well we're nearly lost probably because of the refs on saturday night luckily they didn't they didn't and we don't have to worry about it but it was terrible. Yeah. My vision's not the best. Sure. I always joke that I wear glasses for a reason, but I, I'm i still trying to squint and stare and find out what that false start call was all about. Yeah. The, that was something. The false start, the P.I. on Diamador Lenore where he's getting, uh, you know, wrangled by the wide receiver around his neck and they call it on Lenore. It's like, what fucking play were you watching, guys? Seriously. <laughs> like, isn't, sorry for the F-bomb. So He was interfering with being yeah, strangled. He was, he was inter- yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, he was interfering them getting a first down, apparently. So, anyways, that's enough on reference. So, we, we've got, I mean, we got to stop riffing. We got, we got dudes coming on the podcast. Yeah. We're loaded. Yeah. So, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to bring Hithliday on next. We're going to double down on, on the analysis of Oregon football against Washington, Washington State, and, and preview, previewing USC. And then uh, then we'll bring Scott Schrader on after that and talk about USC a little bit, and then we'll uh, wrap it up with Aaron Torres. But we are up next with Hitler Day to uh, talk about some ball. He's Hitler Day at Hitler Day One on Twitter, which I've joked before. It's it's criminal that more people don't follow that handle. Hitler Day writing about the Ducks, not just on Addicted to Quack, but also uh, posting on Scoop Duck every now and then, chatting up with everybody on the boards and sharing his wealth of knowledge. I, I, I'm so happy every time I get to talk to you, my friend. 
let's talk about this Ducks team and, and what you've seen over the last two weeks heading into USC. Are you concerned at all? Uh, no. It, this team is pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. Um, I think, you know, I, I understand a lot of Ducks fans are like, wait a minute, I thought we had a top five uh, defense. Why, did, why are they giving up all these points? And uh, that's not really how I how I've seen it. I thought that was always about a top 20 defense, not a top five defense. You know, you, you could see the flaws. In fact, I was writing about them and putting them in my film study articles for anybody who wanted to look at them uh, and, and with extensive, you know, video documentation. It, you know, simply stated, Oregon does not have any elite defenders uh, at this point, or, or at least at this point in their development. Some of the, the true freshmen may very well become that. Um, you know, what they have are a bunch of very good defenders, uh, e- even great defenders, uh, some because they're, you know, very experienced veterans, some because they're extraordinarily talented young players, um, and they have a defensive coordinator and a scheme which are maximizing their talents. Uh, but, you know, those flaws were always there, and, you know, Oregon was probably a little fortunate at the beginning of the year in terms of, you know, who they were playing and a couple of lucky bounces and uh, and being fortunate on the injury front which you know you know sadly Troy Dye got injured and you could see some of the problems that that was creating in the Washington the Washington State games in terms of you know tackling and and covering those you know inside routes so uh, you know frankly I, I thought this was you know this sort of thing was coming and the fact that they've been able to to weather it and move on has been uh, pretty encouraging uh no, I I agree with you. Uh, loved statistically, I loved what we were seeing out of this defense early on. But like you like you said, that wasn't uh, you know that wasn't realistic to to happen all season long. So, uh, did, is Oregon helped a little bit because there probably wasn't much film on Oregon's defense under Andy Avalos up until a few weeks ago, and everybody was able to watch you know the first three four weeks. Did, did that maybe help Oregon a little bit for the at least the first half of the season? I think that's probably true. Uh, I think the larger part of it is the quarterbacks that they played in the last two weeks, though. Um, They were simply, you know, pick your reason why. Both of those two guys played their best game of the year against Oregon. Um, You know, if you want to be a duck pessimist, that's because, you know, oh, they exposed Oregon's terrible defense. I don't think that's true. Uh, You know, I, I think they simply in between, as you mentioned, you know, having a little more film, being able to realize that Oregon has some vulnerabilities, particularly in their safeties. Um, and, you know, simply knowing that there's that, you know, their season was on the line, you know, the Oregon fans need to get used to this once again, you know, getting every team's best shot. And uh, in particular, Wazoo is interesting because I thought schematically, Andy Avalos played that game as well as you can, you know, unless you have Washington's depth of insane number of, of four-star defensive backs, exactly the way that he called that defense is how you need to defend Wazoo, that you're not trying to stop those passes, you're trying to make them uh, uh, low-probability passes, cause the quarterback to check down um, to a shorter route. And, and Gordon was, to his credit, you know, Oregon was successfully making those low percentage passes, and then Gordon would make them anyway. And you know what? If a quarterback is going to do that, like, you just have to take your lumps. Like, he was pulling off some pretty remarkable passes, passes that he wasn't putting on film uh, prior to that week. And, you know, who knows if he'll be able to sustain that or not. Uh, You know, we'll have to see. Uh, I don't know how much Oregon fans are going to be paying attention to Wazoo (laughs) going forward, but I will because I think it's an an interesting question. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, you know, when quarterbacks are going to play their best game against you, you're going to give up some yards. and You just have to, you know, move on and play the next game. Schematically, do you think there's going to be a lot of uh, carryover from the Wazoo game to the USC game? I should think that USC and Wazoo have uh, extremely different uh, offenses. The fact that they're both called air raids, um, you know, exposes how stretched out that term has become. Washington State's uh, offense is like a philosophically coherent whole. Everything that they do is about the same philosophy, that they've shorn away from it, everything that isn't part of that. You know, you can see where the trigger points are. They can see where they're trying to stress the defense. You can see how they're trying to get you to do one thing so that they can then come around and hit you with something else. USC doesn't do anything like that. Their (laughs) offense is nowhere near a philosophically coherent whole. It is, in many ways, just a standard college offense that's being operated with some, you know, very high-talented, you know, players. They run, they they throw the ball a lot out of four wides. They shouldn't. That's the crazy thing is they're not a particularly efficient passing offense. They're a very efficient rushing offense, which I was shocked to discover when I started doing film study on them. But despite that fact, they don't run the ball nearly. They run the ball about forty-five percent of the time, and all of their running backs are now, you know, injured. They're on their fourth and fifth string running backs, who are still extremely talented guys because, of course, they are because it's USC. But uh, you know, they're running the ball even less uh, now, despite the fact that they're they're much better at it. So. Uh, I don't think any of the sort of you know defensive issues or or schematic stuff that we saw in Wazoo really pertains to the USC game uh, at all. I, I think it's going to be you know something that stands on its own. So you're you're trying to convince me that a Clay Helton led team isn't being efficiently coached? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of a shocker. I know. Yeah, that's a hot take, right? Um, <laughs> no. Anyway, so uh, I want to I want to rewind just for a second because something you said uh, is something that I. Uh, Okay, something that I believe you said is what I believe. Uh, last two weeks, Oregon facing uh, Washington and Washington State uh, from your film study. Uh, was that the best game each of those teams played against Oregon, in your opinion, from what you've seen so far? It was absolutely the best game that their quarterbacks played. And the interesting thing is both of those guys are, you know, effectively we only had like six games on them, right? They're both like new quarterbacks for their team. Um and uh, so, you know, I can't say this is the best game of their careers, but, but uh, yeah, definitely those guys, you know, they, those guys played out of their minds. Uh, I, you know, I think something I want to flip gears on is offense now. We, we touched defense there. Uh, we've touched a little bit about what we'll see this weekend. We'll get back to that. But flipping gears to offense, uh, Oregon had a rushing offensive explosion this past week against Washington State. Um what did you kind of see there? Why why was it working? Why was Fredell having such a big game? What uh, what kind of stood out to you on your film review of of at least the the rushing portion of Oregon's offense? Uh, well, two things. Um, number one is, of course, they did. Their rushing defense is terrible. Um, and, and here's an interesting thing about uh, the Pac-12. As you know, I've been doing film study of all these different Pac-12 teams. Every team in the Pac-12 that's on Oregon's schedule that they have already played or that they will play, with the exception of Arizona State, which is kind of an anomaly. I'll talk about that one later, maybe in a different podcast. Um, Every one of them has uh, much weaker rush defenses than pass defenses. And, you know, it militates for a strategy that I've been sort of finding it hard to believe that that coach Cristobal isn't jumping all over, which is just run the dang ball. Just, it's the only thing you need to do. Just run the ball up the middle, you know, 40 times a game. 
to, to beat Pac-12 teams, it's not that hard. Um, the other thing that's extremely encouraging for, uh, that I can tell you from doing film study of the Oregon versus Wazoo game is that it's like uh, C.J. Verdell got LASIK. His vision in that game was so much better than we've seen in the year and a half he's been playing at Oregon. It's it's crazy. Um, he was, you know, and I'm not just talking about like, oh, you know, that that uh, the 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 run in the middle is clogged up, so I should bounce outside. I mean, he was doing that, but like anticipating it, right? He was reading not just the line, not just the linebackers, but he's reading the safety, you know, 15 yards deep through the hole and where his hips are and where he's transferring his weight to know, oh, he's coming down here. So if I bounce over to this gap, you know, he's, his ankles are going to get broke when he tries to tackle me. And I put videos of this in my uh, film study article that went up on Tuesday. Um, and he was, I mean, he wasn't doing that earlier uh, in this year. He wasn't even doing that last week. Uh, I'm not sure what happened, but I sure hope it's here to stay. He's Hithliday at Hithliday one on Twitter. I've always thought it's it's criminal that more people don't follow him. Great read, great insights. Uh, drop a knowledge at addictedtoquack.com. Also post it on Scoop Duck every now and then. Hith, um, I, I know our time is tight with you, but I want to go big picture because you've talked about how you've seen some strides with this Oregon team and, and the line that you just gave about the Pac-12 and how, yeah, you know, you can just run the ball all day and, and beat up on these teams. I want to know right now, do you think this team runs the table? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, anytime anybody asks you to take an event versus taking the field, the smart bet is always to take the field. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's – I don't know. Does the, does the conference championship game count as running the table, or do I just have to predict the next four games? Ooh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Let's throw that one in there. Let's, like, let's throw that one in there. Bay Area. Okay. So all five. They got to. Uh, they got to win the Pac-12. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think Oregon. Uh, I think that Oregon. I would bet on Oregon winning each of the next four games. Whether they actually do all four, that's a tough one, but. I think, you know, they've got a pretty good shot at it. The The conference championship game is difficult to figure out uh, because I haven't, you know, I've done very little film study on Utah um, if they wind up winning it. Uh, it might be USC if, if, the, if the chips fall correct. In fact, one of the really uncomfortable realizations that I made yesterday is that my rooting interests are best served by Washington beating Utah this weekend. And, I mean, I want to take a bath after I realize that I'm going to be rooting for Washington <laughs> this weekend. Man, what a what a dark world you live in. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I want to back things up just a bit. I uh, talked about C.J. Verdell. I'm going to go back to the offense. And, and the hot topic of, of the current ducosphere is Justin Herbert. And, mm-hmm. you know, so obviously we had QB on before you. And, you know, I won't tell you what he said, but – I guess the way I see it, and I want to know if this aligns with you, uh, Justin Herbert has a ton of talent, makes some terrific plays, but also makes you know some plays that, that he probably shouldn't. And I guess that leads me to my term on him is that he's inconsistent. What do you kind of see? Uh, I think that's probably fair to say. I, I, the thing that's remarkable about him, I mean, I've done, I'm not kidding, 29 games worth of film study on Justin Herbert. Like, I, other than his parents, I'm probably the foremost <laughs> living expert on Justin Herbert. And I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. If you, 
for any living quarterback, if you gave me a hundred randomly selected dropbacks on them and said, select their 10 best plays, select their 10 worst plays, make a highlight reel, make a low light reel. Uh, I could make a highlight reel out of Justin Herbert that would make you say, cancel the Heisman trophy race, give him the trophy right now. I could make you a low light reel that would make you want to pull his scholarship and put him out of his misery. And like, that is not true of any other quarterback that I can think of. Um, Every other quarterback, you know, it tends one way or the other, or, or it's just a bunch of mushy middle stuff. And Justin Herbert, I mean, really, he makes throws that extremely few human beings are capable of making, including the 32 guys who are starting in the NFL. Like, it's, you know, amazing. And he also makes throws that are like, FCS quarterbacks don't make those mistakes, Justin. Um, I, I think the only sane course for Oregon fans to adopt is to say he's both. You know, quit saying, aha, I know who Justin Herbert is because, you know, I saw him make this great play or I saw him make this terrible play and just accept, you know, that he's both. And I think here's the other thing is that the Oregon coaching staff is smart enough. They have done exactly that. They have designed a playbook in which that it, it is not dependent on him making amazing plays that when he does so that they're simply pleasant surprises and is not doomed when he makes a boneheaded play that they it's an efficiency based offense in which okay we can live with that onto the next play and it doesn't like crater the program which is one of the reasons I was a fairly early and often supporter of, you know, this offensive plan, uh, you know, when a lot of Duck fans were, were wishing that they had Chip Kelly back, uh, is because I think they make smart moves like that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think one of the things that hasn't been talked about is really, uh, I don't want to use the word brilliant because that will trigger some folks when I mention it mm-hmm. about Marcus Royal, but I think it's been very solid game planning this year. And like you said, it really seems to uh, minimize your exposure for mistakes or big mistakes, if you will, uh, given the fact that, you know, Justin Herbert's probably going to have a few moments that you think, man, I'm really surprised you did that there. Um, we're going to, we're going to skip ahead because I don't want it to feel like it's a Justin Herbert bashing hour. USC's on de- <laughs> USC's on deck, very big game on the, you know, on the road for Oregon. They've played a lot better on the road this season, in my opinion. Um, still not perfect, but it's better what do you see and what's going to be the problems? How does this one kind of play out in your mind, at least from what you've seen uh, on USC? Uh, USC is a slot machine. Uh, you pull the wheel and most of the time you get nothing out of it. Um, but it's an extremely high variance team. And every so often they hit a jackpot and they hit a jackpot against Utah and they hit a jackpot in the fourth quarter against Colorado. It's the only reason they won that game. And they hit a jackpot uh, it, it, towards the end of the Notre Dame game. It wasn't enough for them to win that game, but they looked a lot better um, uh, at the end of that game. Like, and uh, I guess as a as a um, contrary to what I just said about you know just run the dang ball, you know just run out the clock. I don't think you can necessarily do that with USC. I think you have to keep your foot on the gas. It's the mistake that Notre Dame made that almost cost them that game. They tried to run the clock out on USC starting in the entire second half and you know with a 14 point lead and it almost bit them in the butt. Um, because USC, you know, the defensive back puts one toe in the one wrong position and bam, tw- you know, 80 yard touchdown pass. You, you, and you just have to accept that USC just, you know, you can be playing the best defense in the world for 19 out of 20 plays, that 20th play that you make one little mistake and, you know, seven points. Um, 
So I think Oregon, the key, the key to them winning, you know, other than just hoping that they never hit the jackpot, uh, is is keeping their foot on the gas. I think they got to go full tilt all 60 minutes uh, on the offense, um, and, and just build a big lead. And, and you know what? You can do it because USC's defense is not great, um, especially the rush defense. I think you can run right at them. So it sounds like offensively, Oregon needs to continue to be like creatively creative and balanced, not just run the ball, run the ball, but take those big plays when they're there as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what USC will do. I mean, there's plenty of tape on that, that, that when they get sick of you running the ball at them, that they'll bring their safeties down into the box, and that's when you hit them over the top. And you know what? Uh, Justin Herbert, for all of his flaws, is pretty damn good at that. Yeah. Defensively for Oregon, is this somewhat, and I, I know that this is not the friendly term to use, but this become a little bit of a, you know, when, when USC is on a roller, when they're on a heater, does this kind of become that bend but don't break mentality? I think if you can limit USC to short stuff that you'll do fine. Um, they're, uh, they feel comfortable in a strategy that will ultimately lose them the game. I don't think that they do a great job of game planning. I don't think they do a great job of having a coherent offensive philosophy. I think that you can definitely, you know, uh, bait them into dinking and dunking down the field and then just failing on third down or, or they're really the, they have a, they have a true freshman quarterback who is plays uh, better than you would expect for a true freshman. He's sure. he's going to have a bright future. He's going to be a, a problem for Oregon going forward. I'll tell you that much. But right now, anyway, uh, it's an offensive line that will give up the blitz, and it is a quarterback who will panic under pressure. And so, letting them dink and dunk down the field, and then hitting with a strategic blitz um, to sack them, put them behind the chains, and then just survive their deep shot attempt. You know, get them off the field. I, I think that's what you got to do. Um, you can bait them into that. They won't. They don't have the strategic awareness to see that that's what you're doing to them. Gotcha. And the jackpot that you mentioned with USC is that, I mean, it sounds like that that comes down to nothing more than them having pretty much elite NFL wide receivers out there and saying, well, here we go. Let's see what this gets us. Yeah, precisely so. And it's interesting. Their like fourth string running back is one of the fastest human beings I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, I could I, I could also see him hitting some outside run that would also like go the distance because I mean Jesus Christ, uh, because of course USC's fourth string running back is the fastest human being on the right. planet. Like of course that guy was on the bench. <laughs> so I guess in other words, for the most part, it sounds like Oregon fans should be thankful that Mike Leach is not the offensive coordinator or head coach of USC at this moment. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, 100%. Yeah, because the pirate would be dialing him up because that's what he does. But, um, Hith, no, we appreciate your time. Like I said, we, we, got, a, we got a quad pack today. We're, we're trying to keep it to 15 minutes or so. Um, but we, we love everything that you brought to us. We love, you know, you participating on the site and, and sharing your knowledge there. And we will get you back on here in the next couple of weeks, my man. My pleasure. Anytime. And I just got to say, I, I, I don't want to dig at what you are doing at Scoop Duck, because this is a Scoop Duck podcast, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, um, and, and the supporters are Scoop Duck people, but what he writes at Addicted to Quack, that's a must-read for Oh, me. yeah, no, yeah. Must-read. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I think, I, I think folks that follow my work, at least, you know, I'm the first one to, to uh, you know, to point out, hey, this is a really good article, you need to read it, you'll, 
you know, it either in, in a number of ways, and it doesn't matter if it's on 24-7 sports or right. addicted to quack or The Athletic or ESPN. Or Wilner's stuff. I see you post that all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to give credit uh, where credit is due. I mean, I'm confident enough in what I'm doing that people are there for my stuff. But it doesn't mean they should just read my stuff and nothing else. And yeah. I think I think that's a common mistake a lot of folks in media do is they get so narrow minded that, oh, if you're not listening to me, you're cheating on me. You're not cheating on me. My job is to try and help bring the best collection of duck news for you right. to help you fulfill your day. Right. You know, and if it's my stuff that does 75 percent of it, great. But there's there's you know, there's more more stuff out there. And and like you said, what we're talking about, Hitler Day is is. He's one of those every every week must reads without question, mm-hmm. um, and I love that he comes and posts it on the site and then interacts with the fans after. He doesn't just post it and forget it. Right. You know, he posts it, and then if people start asking him questions, you'll see him interact in a very respectful manner. Um, you know, answer questions or, or, or you know or whatnot, and and I love that. Um, I guess that's part of the community you alluded to. You know, we have this great community uh, of people of not just of not just subscribers, but contributors. I mean, we're going to have Aaron Torres come on. I mean, that's a guy that contributed a big article today. I mean, it's, it's great to have that collection of people. Yeah. And that's a cool story that I can't wait to get to. When we talk some hoops with him, talk a little bit about five-star Dana. Five. Yeah. Five-star Altman, five-star Dana. I don't, it doesn't have the, the ring that five-star graves does. It's not the same. No, Yeah. no, but it's, yeah, it's, it's good. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, so far, I guess for, for you and I, that kind of puts a bow at least a little bit on the last couple of weeks, Washington, Washington state, what Definitely. worked, what didn't, you know, why the running game had success, you know, maybe some questions about Justin Herbert. I feel like we answered a lot of things there and I don't think anything was negative. I think a lot of folks hit Day QB 11 are just bringing light some, you know, some of the concerns with Herbert. And I thought Hith made a tremendous point. I don't think any one person should get to say, hey, look at that throw by Justin Herbert. That's why I say he's the best quarterback to ever live. You know, well, yeah, we all agree that he makes some tremendous throws. Right. But the other guy saying, hey, yeah, look at that mistake by Justin Herbert sliding short of the first down marker. That's not something of a, of a fourth-year starting quarterback. Well, you're also right, but it doesn't mean that he's merely the word. You can have both and still be right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, I, I just – I hate that in this world, it seems like everybody goes to an extreme, one direction or the other. And I'm not even just applying this to football. Oh, totally. No, I I think part of it is a hot take society. Yeah. I think the other angle is we've been so spoiled. And I say we, uh, my generation and your generation, people young enough to grow up with, say, Joe Montana, then Brett Favre, then Peyton Manning, and now this explosion of of quarterback play at the professional level and the college level and everywhere else, the standard for quarterback is so much higher than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, with the expanded ability of film study, you know, obviously television has expanded. You know, uh, people that don't have uh, access to all 22 film can do a pretty darn good job you know, breaking down a game, especially with a sky cam film and stuff that's available sometimes. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that was, that's been my biggest knock maybe on, you know, when Justin Herbert was deciding whether to go or come back, I feared that this year would basically just be an exposure of negativity. There really wasn't much more for him to prove other than wanting to come back and play maybe with Patrick Herbert and have one more year and maybe have a special year, you know, do it. But just from a pure, evaluation standpoint alone, I didn't think there was anything to gain for Justin Herbert to come back because at a certain point, everything's been talked about. 
So if all that's been covered and you want people to read your shit, you become a hot take maestro. Right. And then we just degrade the quality of media, which is kind of what we've done over the last decade. Uh, I was going to say, I don't know if there is any quality in media. Maybe not, I'm, I'm speaking much. to the wrong guy no. because you guys do good work, but it's true. Yeah. It's true. Unless yeah. you're, unless you're dishing out hot takes, nobody gives a shit about what you got to write anymore. It's yeah. terrible. And, it, and, and it's, you know what? It's not even the, the media person's fault anymore. It's just a byproduct of what's being recirculated and consumed. And I mean, that's why ESPN puts out the trash they put out anymore. That's why when you flip on the news, it's all about Trump or whatever other element that, you know, has people in an uproar. That's what I mean. It's it's the you know, Howard Stern did this. It was Howard, and I don't blame him. He was tremendous on his show. Right. But he showed he gave everyone the blueprint of you want people to start talking about you. You want to become famous. This is what you do. You do outlandish shit and everybody talks about you. And then suddenly you're famous. Yeah. 2019. Oh. And I'm not going to single out anybody in the Oregon media, but there seem to be some of those yeah. that certainly follow that school of thought. We have, we have some good apples here. Yeah, we know there's some tremendous, but then there's some that, that seem that the hot takes, you know, are what carry their career. And it's like, man, is that what you really want to be known for? <laughs> I mean, you're, it's a flash in the pan to me. You yeah. know what I mean? I, you, you can, you know, have su- success, but I don't think it's sustainable. And then you have other guys that might work and do a, a, a really good job you know, for a long time and never really get into the hot take scene. But anyways, we've gone, I've gone way off here. I don't even know what I was talking about. Someday we're just going to have a pod where we just go in the weeds on, on sports media. Sports media. We do probably like 15 minutes every, I'm disappointed in sports media and I work in it. So that, you know, that should tell you, you know, I, I do get, I think probably the one thing I get offended on a scoop duck is when people, Oh, Jay hop with the clickbait. It's like, man, seriously, if I wanted clickbait, I could do it all day long, all day, all day. Yeah. I mean, some of you make it so easy, you know, and, you know, I don't even, I mean, I get paid per click, but it's like not much of what makes up my revenue. No, I could live without the click revenue. I promise. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we can get to somebody who I think uh, you talk about the good apples in Oregon. He's a good apple down in SoCal, uscscoop.com. Scott Schrader, yes. one of your buds. Yeah. You know, I know Scott, here's the deal. If, uh, uh, people in the USC market don't like me, and that's okay. You know, people in the Washington market don't like me. You know, I get it. Oregon people don't like most of the Washington media. Oregon people don't like most of the USC media. Oh, that was eye-opening. When you when we had Scott Eklund, yeah. and all the people were saying that Scott was like, basically, he was Hitler. Yeah. He was horrible. Right. And, and and the nicest guy in the world when we talked to him. Yeah. But that's how Duck fans Yeah, he of. was still accused of homering out. Oh, he's still trying to slide in the... Man, he really was. He was just—he right. gave an honest opinion, and he gave a really good analysis of the game. He really did in the right. end. Um, I mean, that game was really close. It's just—it's—it's it's fun. I mean, you know, I think people do this to Herb Street too. I mean, he can't say a freaking word about Ohio State, and then all of a sudden it's oh, Herb Street's a Ohio State homer. I mean, give the guy a break. He should right. be like allowed to talk about you know a top four, top five team. And just because he went there doesn't make him a homer. You know, I mean, and fans might feel the same way about Scott. Uh, Scott Schrader yeah. joining us in a minute, but I think we're going to have a really fun chat with him. Yeah, we'll we'll talk to him a little bit, and then uh, and then we'll get our fourth guest on. And uh, yeah, we're just rocking and rolling this sucker. You see, we're making up for missing last week, so at least you guys have that going for it, you. It's almost like two podcasts. It's in like one. two. Yeah, just take a break and listen to it in, in two different days if you need to. Yeah, take yeah. take a deep breath, get some lunch, and then we'll have Scott Schrader on the line. USCScoop.com. The Trojans hosting the Ducks. Is there an upset brewing in SoCal? Scott Schrader sharing his thoughts with us on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. 
He's Scott Schrader, uscscoop.com, at Scott underscore Schrader on Twitter, and a a great read. We talk about this every week when we bring on a a beat writer or a reporter covering another school. You can read Scoop Duck all day, every day, but it's really fun to scout the enemy. And, And USC Scoop, good opportunity to scout the Trojans this week with Scott Schrader. Scott, tell me about this Trojan team. A lot of people thought USC might be back this year, and then they weren't, and they've lost a couple games that might have surprised some. Uh, Have they met your expectations this year? Have they not met your expectations? How do you feel about this squad? Well, I I think expectations were a little bit different at the end of August than than maybe they had become at some point during the season um, when JT Daniels went down in, in the first game. Um, I'm not sure anybody knew what to expect from USC, considering that their backup quarterback was a true freshman that you know, not many people knew much about. And, and no matter how talented a young quarterback is, if they've never played a college football game, you never know what to expect. But um, I think yeah, I, I, as far as, as the way that Keaton Slovis has played, I think he's maybe played above expectations. Um, to a certain degree, I know he had, a, he had a rough game at BYU with three interceptions, but again, that was his that was his first game as a college quarterback on the road, anyways, and the first first time he started. Um, and they lost at Washington with with their third string quarterback in Matt Fink. And, uh, you know that 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 was not a very good performance there with <laughs> with three alley oop dunk alley oop dunk uh, interceptions and and tackling issues, which is why USC potentially have a really rough time Saturday is, is, is the tackling has been a big issue. But as far as expectations, you know, I think, I think you know, they went to Notre Dame and, and, and nearly pulled off an upset there. I, I, I think that, you know, they, they played about as well as expected there, uh, but lost. And, and so, you know, they're sitting there with, with three losses right now, and, and I'm, I'm not really quite sure that, I don't think they played below expectations, all things considered, with a bunch of injuries that they're they're dealing with right now. Uh, they're, they're, they're playing six or seven true freshmen, whether it's on offense or defense, and so you know I, I think they may have may have played just about how we should have expected under the circumstances. But they're but at that at, at the same time, I think this is is a pretty darn good football team. Yeah, there's there's no question of the firepower and the talent on this roster. I don't, I mean, even I think you hear that from all the Oregon fans as well. I mean, they, they're definitely acknowledge the fact that USC has got, got talent and it can put up points offensively for sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, and one thing to your point, uh, you mentioned Keaton Slovis, uh, you know, our guest just prior to you said that that guy is going to be a problem for Oregon for the next few years. So, you know, definitely a lot of upside there with Slovis, you know, for his co- continued development, uh, if you will. Um, what uh let's start with this i want to start injuries i know drake it sounds like drake jackson may miss it sounds like chris Steele's back are there any others what are you kind of hearing at least on those two and, and anybody else that might impact usc side as of, as of yesterday uh christian rector one of the starting outside pass rushers uh he's back chris Steele is is back and as we left usc yesterday Greg Jackson was still kind of 50-50. His dad told me that it was was unlikely that he would play this week. Um, And EA, now Teote, 
uh, inside linebacker. I, I, I just think it's doubtful he'll be back as well. Um, so the two guys that I mentioned right there are kind of guys that, you know, were, were in full pads yesterday. Abdul Malik McClain, you know, redshirt freshman. Um, he went down in, in the Arizona game towards the end uh, with a shoulder injury. So, so he's back. And, and, you know, that, that might not seem like a big deal to, to people that aren't really familiar with the USC football team. It, it's actually a big deal that he's back as well. Uh, you know, offensively, USC's got as much firepower as any team in the conference. Uh, you know, potentially, I don't know about nationally, but it's definitely up there for sure. Um, what are they? What are some of the keys for USC offensively this week, and what do they kind of need to do uh, to either hang with or ultimately beat Oregon this weekend? Well, I haven't seen Oregon play as much as I would have liked to have seen them play a lot, and and, and I'm, I'm thinking that that Oregon's getting to the quarterbacks. You know, and, and how many sacks does Oregon have this year, if, if you know off the top of your head? You know, I don't know. If I should know. I want to say okay. nine or ten. You know, they yeah, so, they have they, what they do is they generate a lot more pressure than actually create sacks, which is both okay. disruptive. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Well, that's a key right there. Okay. USC needs to needs to, and and it's one thing they have done also this year is that they protected the quarterback. I mean, I've seen that way because I've had two good sacks. The running game is, you know, they're, they're down three running backs, so they're down to a true freshman in, in Keenan uh, Kristen. But, it, you know, Keenan Kristen's also a guy that, that can run 80 yards for a touchdown. So, you know, he, he's not going to be the guy that's going to be able to power himself through for, for a, a third and short on a regular basis like a marquee step or, or a bye-bye. But, um, you know, I, I, they're not just going to be able to pass the ball and win, win the football game on Saturday in my opinion, so they're definitely going to have to run the ball. But Keaton Slovis is going to have to carry the football team on Saturday. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. So I, I, how they do on offense will be how he does on offense, in my opinion. Mistake-free football, it sounds like, for the most part. Right, Scott. Is that what you're saying? Yes. No no interceptions, just mistake-free ball. It's going to have to be a clean football game, and he's going to have to be accurate. And, you know, it's 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 it's... It's going to be, you know, this is going to be. Utah has an exceptionally good defense, but you know, he didn't play against them. Um, but this this Oregon defense has been has been outstanding all year. So, um, yeah, you know, he's he's probably going to get pressured a little bit more than he has, and uh, he's just going to have to be extremely accurate and not throw interceptions. It almost sounds like you favor the Ducks on Saturday. Well, you know, it's funny. Is that the only reason why I, I I'm going to predict USC is because it's at home. And USC has managed to score 30, 30 points pretty much in every game this year, except for the Washington game. So I'm not like USC kind of stops themselves more than they get stopped by by the defenses, whether you know it's, it's penalties or drop footballs or whatever it might be. Um, so you know, I think it's going to be a nail biter, but I'm taking USC because it's at USC. Uh, that's a valid point. The home 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 turf advantage definitely uh, makes a, a big impact. Uh, Scott, now one thing I want to touch on: you do a lot of recruiting. Uh, you know, cover a lot of recruiting is what I want to say, and and you've helped me in a number of instances. Some of these guys at this point in the recruiting process get uh, tough to reach. You know, Justin Flo comes to mind, maybe a CJ Stroud. Yeah. Some of those guys. Uh, I know you've had a chance to talk face to face with some of them in the last couple of weeks. Uh, for starters, you know, what do you hear consistently about Oregon that, that keeps them in the game with these guys? 
and uh, you know uh, what what just what just kind of makes Oregon stick out to, to uh, Justin Flo, uh, you know, or or the other gen- other other guys down there. Well, you know those those two guys are are, are two good examples of of why Oregon is 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 in so is in the race of so many highly you know ranked prospects and some of the best players not just on the West Coast but in the country. And a lot of people think it's the it's the flash or the uniforms and you know, Nike and all those kind of stuff. And the kids love that stuff, but it's the relationships that those coaches have built with these kids and the time they spend on recruiting these kids and, and communicating with them. And it's not just the assistants or the recruiting guys. You know, when you ask a kid who they talk to most at Oregon, Mario Cristobal's name comes up usually, if not first, second. So, you know, this is a team effort that's going on at Oregon. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but, you know, I see it and, and I hear from the guys that, that they're recruiting. So it, it's just, they're just doing a better job recruiting than everybody else is. Uh, you know, I mentioned his name, and he's definitely a high-profile guy, but Justin Flo, what's, what's maybe kind of your feeling with him, uh, at least the last cu- couple conversations you've had with him? Well, right now he's, he's very much in training with out-of-state schools, <laughs> as you see by his top <laughs> four. Um, and you know, I think the thinking was after his visit to, to Clemson, the, the end of summer maybe, I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, you know, he, he was feeling pretty strong about them. I think he, he really likes what, what, what Dabo's got there and, and the style of, of program that he has, you know, the, the spirituality, and it's just I know. That kind of stuff. I, I don't know the details on, on what attracts kids um, beyond that, and them being such a you know top football program in the nation. I guess you might say, but uh, Miami is. I, I think just from talking to some of the people at Upland, I, I think I think Miami is a school that he likes a lot more than people think too. Um, but you know, when, when he talks about Oregon, you know, there again, it's it's the relationships he has there. And he wanted to make it very clear with me when he was talking about Oregon that it, he doesn't care about Nike, he doesn't care about you know, the flash and all that kind of stuff. And you know, up at Oregon, it's a very intoxicating atmosphere, which I, I think that everybody acknowledges that they like that. Um, but he's again, it's, it's a relationship he has, and they're very, very solid. So I'm not sensing Oregon right now is is a school to beat with him. But he's still going to take an official visit next month. Okay. No, that's good to know. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, as you and I both know from the game, getting them on campus kind of changes things. So that's always, you know, what you're looking for. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, right now, I mean, that's, that is there's a suspect. You get him on campus, and, and he gets to see some stuff that maybe he hasn't seen before and, and maybe gets a little bit better feel of what it's like on, on a game day. Because, you know, kids want to play in front of, a big crowd that is real loud and, and is supportive. And, you, know, you have that up there, but I think also that I think Oregon is, is Eugene is, is an area that I think he feels comfortable at also, and I think he'll learn more about that the next time he goes. Do we have a minute or, 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 or a couple minutes left with you, Scott, or do you need to go? No, I'm good. Okay, I I want to ask just as a fly on the wall, hearing you guys chat about recruiting because it's it's Justin's forte, it's not mine. How did you get your start in recruiting, Scott? Uh, man, mine's, mine's kind of an interesting story. So my, my dad covered the USC football team for many, 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 many years. And when he retired, he helped 
a friend of his out with a USC publication, and he kind of focused on yesterday's Trojans, you know, kind of going back with guys were on the team maybe 10 years or, or longer, and then wrote updates on those guys. And then he did a recruiting article once a week. And my dad just kind of got onto a point where he just didn't want He was in his 80s, and he didn't want to do it anymore. And he just said, hey, you want to do a recruiting article for Dave Daniel for USC Report? And I was like, man, whatever. So I, you know, I, I had no skills in journalism. I, I still don't. <laughs> but uh, that's how I got my start. And then uh, Scout.com, I guess they kind of hired me shortly after that. So... My dad had a really good relationship with the people at USC, and he kind of passed that on to me. So that was a big help. That's amazing. Yeah, I would have to say that I think there's two parts to this industry from my end. I think I imagine Scott would agree. Uh, you know, first off, it is definitely a you know a who you know type of yeah. you know that that is almost first and foremost. But secondly, is you I mean you just you're not gonna you're not gonna beat somebody who hustles. I mean. You know, I know, Scott, yeah. you're flying all over the country, and I know you get to schools, you know, high schools during the week while you're trying to cover the team as well. But, you know, if you get out there and you're grinding on the phones or you're grinding on your, your messages or you're, you know, yeah. grinding with coaches or whatever the case might be, high school coaches, college coaches, whatever, I mean, that's just, you know, you can – I've said this before because I've said it about myself, Scott. I don't think I'm a very good writer. I think I'm an average writer at best. Um but that seems completely secondary to getting the information and pre- presenting it in a timely and accurate fashion. Totally. You know, totally. It is. It is. You know, because people will pay money to read beautiful stories. And I think more people will pay money to get information they can't get anywhere else. And that's what you and I give. You yeah. know, we, we give information that you're not going to go get on a blog or you know, a newspaper. Right. More than likely. No, definitely. No, you know, you're right. And then, you know, last thing you build a community and that kind of keeps it sustainable, you know, once you get people in there. Um, But anyway, Scott, I know you're busy. And, you know, first of all, we really appreciate your time working you in here. And I know we're a little later than we wanted to be, but um, we would definitely like to get you back on again and maybe, uh, you know, review the game or or talk about recruiting or or who knows any both all of the above, maybe. (laughs) No problem. You got any good? You got any good? You got any good? Well, as I say, you got any good uh, lunch recommendations for the the Oregon faithful making it down that way? They got to get to Pink's, or where, where do they got to go down there? Philippe's, Philippe's, Philippe's. Is that the French dip place? Yes, that's a, that's that's where you have to go. Okay, because I went to another one last time I was down in L.A. that said it was the original, but it wasn't Philippe's. I can't remember. It was it. It was oh, in. Yeah, it was in a rough Philippe. part of town. <laughs> yes, it is, but it, but it's it's worth going there, but. Police is just kind of a big place that can accommodate a lot of people. Uh, you'll kind of be mixed in with USC people. I, usually that's what fans want when they go on the road. They kind of want yep. to be around the other fans anyway. So yeah. um, I think the atmosphere would be really cool for, for Oregon fans to go check that out for sure. So Philippe's is the spot. Okay. Well, Scott, yep. Scott's buying you a beer and a French dip, guys. You heard it here first. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Hey, before I hang up, though. Next year, I, I was thinking, you know, Justin and I should do something like Barstool does. So next year, we got to, we got to, like, you and I got to, like, shit talk, if, if that's a word I can use on your radio show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I dropped an F-bomb earlier, so you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. All right, Scott, thank you for your time, brother. All right, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's going to be a little tougher, a little longer to edit some stuff and mix this <laughs> down, but I just had to ask that question because I'm always fascinated when we get these recruiting guys on yeah. and you, you start speaking a different language with them. It, it's so fascinating how all that works and how it's interconnected with 
the Ducks and what they want and USC and what they want. Right. And you guys get to chat about it. It's awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, it's even if you follow it like the, the Scoop Duck Faithful or whatever, if you followed recruiting or the USC Scoop Faithful, um, you know, there's still a whole different element that most people probably don't get or appreciate that goes on like behind the scenes that myself or Scott or, or Greg Biggins or, you know, all these other guys do. And it's just, um, you know, when you're in it, when you're doing it, you, you know, you, you know, Scott and I can speak on, you know, we, Hey, I know what you're doing. I get it. I understand. You know, it's just, it's a different, uh, element altogether. What we present on, on our sites or in our forums or whatever, uh, you know, is, is a totally different deal. But yeah, like you said, it's always fun to hear somebody's story. You know, I know for Scott, for instance, his dad, uh, Lowell was, uh, I mean, he's, he's in the USC media hall of fame down there. So, I mean, he, wow. yeah, he was on the beat for a long time doing a good job. And I think, you know, we talked about this before we had Scott on, but he was back in an era where you were reporting news. You didn't have to be the hot take guy. You know, you go to the game, you watch the game, you offer a recap, maybe a few thoughts and you know, and you're, and you're, and that was it. And that was it. Yeah. yeah. The Walter Cronkite era of, of reporting of journalism, you know, and I'm not, I'm not accusing Scott of being a hot take guy. I'm just simply saying back in that area where his dad was, you know, that was, was just a nice simpler time really, you know, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just cool for him to have that legacy there and continue it on. It's a totally different story than mine. Um, you know, luckily I was able to help Scott get into where he's at now doing his site that he's doing now um, just because of the success of my site. So I know Oregon fans like to bash on him, call him a homer, whatever. I mean, he's made predictions that haven't worked out. I've made predictions that haven't worked out. That's just part of the game. Um, at the end of the day, you know, he helps me quite a bit. And I consider him a colleague and his USC fans might not like me one bit and that's totally fine. I get that part of things. It's, you know, we're both just uh, trying to do the best we can in our market and get better. And you're doing that. And uh, you got somebody guest number four, by the way, don't ever do this to me again. Uh, Yeah. But the fearsome foursome. (laughs) Yeah. But, but guest number four might be better than the first three. Well, you're excited. I know you're a college basketball guy. You love, you love basketball. You love hoops. And I get all that. And and I like basketball. I'm excited about this season for Oregon. But um, to bring a guy like Aaron Torres in, you know, he's he's been to programs, talks to coaches. Um, you know, he's got a, he's got a great network. So having him on to hear his side of things would be great. And again, he had the update uh, earlier this morning on Scoop Duck on Namari Burnett and Jalen Green. Uh, so go read that. I made it free. Um, kind of a gift to everybody. But uh, furthermore, we get to hear Aaron talk about it. He was face to face with those guys just yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, come for the football and stay for a little bit of five-star college hoops. How about that for Duck Men's Hoops, man? man? You know, we didn't we didn't miss a podcast. We just doubled up this week. That's all we did. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Torres. This is yep. a good time to get him on the line? It's. I think so. All right. All right. We'll get him. Aaron Torres talking college hoops and a, a really fascinating recruiting angle for Duck Men's basketball. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. <laughs> He's Aaron Torres. Follow him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Check out the podcast as well. Got to hit this hyping up college football, college basketball, the Aaron Torres sports podcast and uh, check out the writing free piece that Justin just alluded to over at Scoop Duck where Aaron spoke with some five star guys and and gave us a, a lot of questions about Dana Altman and the Oregon basketball team. Aaron I've followed Duck Hoops my whole life. Uh, Justin talked about it earlier. I'm more of a basketball guy than a football guy with Oregon. I've never seen them go after talent like this. How surprising is it to see Dane Altman have this kind of effort on the recruiting trail? 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because I live in L.A., and even just a few years ago, um, you know, the you know Oregon's kind of M.O. was going after guys that, uh, I don't want to say fall through the cracks, but, you know, Tyler Dorsey was probably a top 40 kid out of Pasadena where I live, Jordan Bell, um, you know, was, was a good recruit, but not an elite one. I don't think anybody thought he'd kind of end up as where he was in terms of the NBA. And so I don't know if it was the Final Four that helped push push Oregon over the top or what it is, but it's been kind of crazy to just see the evolution of how they're recruiting, as you guys just alluded to, the types of players that they're going after. But they're having a ton of success, and, and, and like I said, it's probably a combination of the Final Four, the fact that UCLA's had a coaching change, the fact that Arizona's been in some trouble with the FBI. I think all of it has led to the situation we're at now, where Oregon is now a place that, uh, at the very least, is getting visits from top kids, and, and obviously over the last couple of years with Bull Bull and others, has been able to secure some of them as well. Uh, we'll go ahead and dive into this. Yesterday, uh, up in the Napa area, you were able to go to Prolific Prep and talk to a couple five-stars there. Namari Burnett took an official visit, five-star guard. Uh, teammate Jalen Green is there. Um, you know, I know you kind of alluded to this, at least to me privately. You know, Burnett was was a was a terrific interview and, and, and you know, gave a lot of reviews about the trip and, and spoke a lot. Green was a little bit more reserved. Uh, what did you kind of come away with from, from both those guys after talking to them a little bit? Um, and where do you kind of think Oregon stands with each? Yeah, you know, what I would say is uh, the biggest thing I came away with was something that really didn't fit in the piece given what, you know, you guys wanted me to do. But that was that they're both really good kids, you know, and, and Namar Burnett, who was a little bit more, um, you know, loose during the interview, I guess you would say, was really fun to talk to. Um, you know, just, just, just a really just down-to-earth kid. Um, you know, both of them not really letting the spotlight get to them. Jalen Green was a little bit more reserved, I think. Everywhere he goes, people seem to want to know, uh, you know, where are you going to college? Could you potentially go pro like R.J. Hampton? So he was a little bit more reserved. But I, but my biggest takeaway, honestly, was just they're both really good kids, and whether they end up at Oregon, somewhere else, whatever, uh, I think they're going to represent their schools well. In terms of the two kids, you know, I don't claim to be any type of recruiting expert or guru or whatever. Uh, it does seem like both were really impressed with, with uh, their visits to Oregon, obviously, to Mari Burnett just was down there this past weekend so it was a little more recent for him um and every recruiting guy that i talk to seems to think that it's either oregon it's all it's alabama excuse me one of the two for for uh for him and i think the interesting thing which i did put in the piece with namari burnett is he's taking a very kind of calculated smart approach to this thing of he's got a final four that includes uh, two new head coaches, Juwan Howard at Michigan, Nate Oates at Alabama. And I think he wants to see all four teams play this year. Are they really using their guards and playmakers the way that they've told him that he that they will? And for people who haven't seen him play, he's, he's more of a point guard, combo guard. Uh, Dana Altman's kind of pitch was that the ball is going to be in his hands. Uh, with Jalen Green, really quick, I know I'm kind of going long here, guys, but you know, I think my takeaway was there, I, I don't know, man. I he he just he was very close to the vest, like I said. I think a lot of these really really elite guys, they know that every word that they say is going to be twisted and and dissected and overanalyzed. And you know, all I would say is that um, you know Memphis and Oregon seem to be the final two. I know he's talked about all kinds of different visits. He was down at USC a few weeks ago. He's from Fresno. Has talked about taking a visit down to Fresno. 
I don't think they're a real player. I do think it is Oregon, Memphis, as has been reported for a while. He said he still plans to commit on Christmas Day. But I do think even if, if Oregon does get that commitment, they do kind of have to keep their eye out for a professional opportunity. I mean, this is a kid that, uh, you know, is really close with R.J. Hampton, who's the kid who decided to go play in Australia this year. Um, you know, uh, for people who don't know, Jalen Green is part Filipino, and he's got uh, a big following in the Philippines. And I've heard a little minor buzz that, you know, there could be some professional options there. So that's what I would say is you're not only recruiting against Memphis and some other programs with Jalen Green, but also the possibility of him going pro next year as well. Yeah, I know they they go crazy for basketball in the Philippines. That's a hell of an mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, tell me about the Pac-12, Aaron. We, we don't really know. Like on the women's side, we know. All right, Oregon ladies, number one in the AP, number one in the polls. We think they're just going to kill the Pac-12 this year. But on the men's side, I'm I'm not sure what to expect. How do you see all that shaking out? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, and I know you guys are kind of bracing for a big game this weekend down here in L.A. on the football side. Um, you know, I, I kind of see the Pac-12 very similar to the college football aspect of things in terms of, uh, listen, Oregon and Utah, from a football perspective, are still in the playoff conversation, but I think even an Oregon fan would admit that probably not on the, even if they meet, either of those teams makes the playoff, they're probably not on the level of Clemson or LSU or Ohio State or Bama right now. And so I bring that up because from the basketball side, I think it's going to be kind of the same deal. I think there's like six really like, like good, good teams. I don't know that there's like an elite national championship contender, but Colorado basically returns everybody off a 23-win team. I actually think UCLA is going to be pretty good with Mick Cronin. USC, um, I think they like their guys. They, they themselves, like Oregon, had a good recruiting class coming into this year. Uh, Arizona is going to be a factor, potentially ASU as well. I, I saw Washington I'm missing. So I just think it's going to be one of those where I think there's like six, seven really good teams. I don't know that anyone's going to make the Final Four, but I certainly think Oregon's in that mix. So it sounds like uh, almost like we, we encounter in football most years. It's going to be a conference that might end up kind of cannibalizing itself and uh, yeah. you know almost pushing well, itself I'll- out. Yeah, I was going to say really quick, I, I think that's accurate, but I also think, and you talk to coaches in the league, and I'm sure you guys have you know, certainly talked to the Oregon staff and, and maybe others as well, is like, I think the big thing is you got to win games out of conference. Like, yeah. you can't, if you're Oregon, lose to Texas Southern. If you're whoever, I, you know, Arizona lost them, but everybody lost bad games last year. And so, yes, the league could cannibalize itself, but, you know, for college basketball, for people who don't kind of follow it day in and day out, Things are so structured for the power conferences to take advantage and get multiple teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, just all the metrics favor the power conferences, but the key is you got to take care of business in the out of conference. So could could we have a situation where, where we have you know five six teams in the eleven and seven ten and eight kind of range? Yeah, absolutely. But it also just comes down to like, hey, USC can't lose to Santa Clara this year. Uh, UCLA can't lose to Belmont and Liberty this year. Oregon can't lose to Texas Southern. You just take care of the teams you're supposed to. I think that there will still be whatever it is, four, five, six, seven teams. Maybe not seven, but four, five, six, seven, four, five, six teams in the tournament. I don't know why I keep tripping over my words, guys. <laughs> hey, you're, you're doing great, Aaron. He's Aaron Torres. Listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And uh, before we let you go, Aaron, two things. Let's 
sure. pivot to football. How do you think that sure. big game in L.A. goes this weekend? Guys, this one's really tough, and I'm sure you've probably talked a lot about it on this show. Uh, I'd love to, frankly, pick your brains off there. I mean, there's just so many like variables to it. USC obviously hasn't lost at home this year, but they're so banged up on defense. But also, you know, Oregon obviously come from behind win at Washington, last second win at Washington State. I, I just, I really don't know what to make of it. I, I don't feel great about either side and kind of making a definitive bold like this is a thousand percent going to happen. The one thing I will say, like Oregon, you guys watch them week in and week out. I just think they're they're a solid football team across the board, and I think USC they're going to get the best version of USC this week. I think it'll be a really fun game. Uh, because I'm on the Oregon podcast, I'll pick Oregon to win. I probably would anyway, but I think it'll be a good game. <laughs> all right. Hey, yeah. we're, we'll always take that. Yeah. Uh, last thing for you, at least last thing that I have, and Justin can wrap up if he's got anything. Mm-hmm. How do we listen to that podcast? Yeah. Um, iTunes, uh, Spotify, basically anywhere you want to download podcasts, tune in radio, uh, podcast addict. If you have uh, Android, that's the kind of app that I listen to. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's going strong, man. It's been uh, you know, it's that time of year where we're all just grinding, talking a little bit of both. Uh, I've had some good guests on the last couple weeks. Kirk Herbstreit a few weeks ago. Bob Stoops. Uh, but it's been quiet. It's just been kind of me the last couple weeks chopping it up after college football, talking a little college basketball. But, yeah, I appreciate it, guys. And, yeah, I think if you like this interview, if you like college football, I'll obviously be talking Oregon uh, for this weekend show. You know, I'll probably drop another episode Thursday morning. So, yeah, after you guys are done with this podcast, if you want to give it a listen, uh, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to I'm gonna hit you with this, Aaron. You know, we talked football for just a second. Uh, tough question. It's a hard question. We, you know, we can get to Oregon, USC. We, you're our fourth guest today, just so you know. We've had four guests on the podcast. You're number four. Uh, we had two sure. guys that broke down the X's and O's of Oregon's wins the last two weeks, and then we had a, a USB, USC-based uh, reporter on, so we kind of got that side of things. So we got we got USC-Oregon front to back, but uh, the Pac-12 football, they got a, they got a playoff contender, or, or is this going to be a, another scenario where I think, uh, you know, personally I'll tell you this, I'll tell you my end. I think the SEC will get two in, and I don't think it will matter. I also think Oregon's going to end up tripping up over a game out of the next four, and it won't matter anyways. But you think? Do you believe the Pac-12 has a playoff contender? In your opinion, I will say this: I think if you look at both Utah and Oregon's schedule, if they both get through this weekend, they should both get to the Pac-12 championship game at yes. eleven and one. Right now, will they look? You know, we we see upsets every week in college football. Um, you know, your X's and O's guys will give you a better answer as to the, whether this weekend's the upset or not. But, like, you know, I, I, I just think that if, if you get by this weekend for both teams, because for people I'm sure you've talked about it ad nauseum, but Utah goes to Washington this week. Um, like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. You know, I, the one thing that I've learned doing this, you know, long enough, and not that we've analyzed the playoff for that long, it's only whatever, year six or whatever, I just don't like this whole, you know, the second – Oklahoma loses. Oh, there's no way the Big 12. Well, no, stop. Like, the second that Oregon loses, oh, the Pac-12, they're el- it's like, no, it doesn't, just doesn't work that way. So, I don't have a good answer. I think this weekend will be telling. And I think it'll be interesting because I'll tell you this, it kind of goes back to what I said a minute ago about kind of the, the depth of the Pac-12 in football, the depth of the Pac-12 potentially in basketball is, you know, I haven't broken down all the resumes 
But if Oregon gets to 12-1, and one, um, you know, if they were to beat a good Utah team, obviously win at USC this week and all that stuff, you know, without, again, overanalyzing the resume, like, they would have a pretty impressive resume relative to a 12-1 and one Oklahoma yeah. or, you know, I don't even know who else, a 12-1, and you know, if Georgia won, I don't know, I was going to say if Georgia won out, but then they would win the SEC. But the point is, Oregon will have a good resume if they win out, and I think this weekend will be pretty reflective of whether Utah and Oregon have the chops to do it and meet at 11-1 and one each in the Pac-12 championship game. Well, I love your uh, – I have, I have said – your original point that you mentioned a while back that I mean I don't I, I don't have any problem saying this Oregon Utah whoever they don't want any part of Clemson or Ohio State or LSU right now and probably Bama for that matter I mean those teams in my view are on another level I mean I think if if Oregon Utah either one played either of those teams it, you know it probably wouldn't go the way uh, you know those fan bases would want it to in my opinion yeah I would say real quick I think that. This year, I, I just think this year the way it's shaping up could be an interesting case study in, like, does the, does the committee really value things like being a conference champion, like scheduling tough out of conference, whatever, or do they, do, they, do they value the brands that are college football, you know, that kind of make college football college football? Because, like, you know, I, I saw something this morning, we're recording, I guess, whatever today is, Wednesday, you know, you look at if Alabama were to lose that game to LSU, they really wouldn't have all that much of a resume. I just referenced right. it a minute ago. Oklahoma, even if they went out, isn't going to have that great of a resume if we're talking about, you know, going up against other one-loss teams. And so, you know, we can sit there and say, you know, well, Alabama's a definitively better team than Oregon. But it's like, you know, I mean... If it comes down to Oregon being a 12 and one Pac-12 champion that hasn't lost since literally the last day of August, or you know an Alabama team that in their biggest game of the year at home lost to a good LSU team, like it's going to be a really interesting debate. Same with Oklahoma. So I don't have the answer, but I'm just saying I do think in terms of what matters to the committee is it really just about putting the biggest brands in or is it putting the best resumes or is it putting who we think is the best teams i just think it could line up for a fascinating fascinating uh you know year as far as that's concerned no i i agree this year would be much like uh a couple of years ago where you, you really start to think man an eight, 18 playoff makes a lot of sense here i think that would make a lot of sense again this year from the way things are shaping up and my answer to you, at least from, from what Matt and I have talked about before, you know, Rob Mullins, chairman of the, of the College Football Playoff Committee, has, you know, ever since last year has uh, aggressively gone out and scheduled early out-of-conference games for Oregon State. You know, Auburn this year to open things up. Ohio State next year, I believe, is game two. Um, so my assumption, just based on, on that aggressiveness, he must have heard something or, you know, has, has figured out that, hey, this matters. So I don't know. That's just been my takeaway from from what Oregon's done under the leadership of Rob Mullins, obviously heavily involved with the college football uh, playoffs uh, on the committee. I, I guess we'll see at the end of the year how how it all unfolds and if that uh, rings true. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, and in, in, in it is just so fascinating because even like. You know, last I mean, I've heard Urban Meyer, who's obviously now on TV, Fox Sports, where I do radio, is like, you know, he said like, 
he was pretty pissed off last year that not that they didn't make the playoff, but that Georgia finished ahead of them because it's yeah. like, well, Ohio State was a conference champion. They scheduled a tough road game. Technically, it was a neutral site game at TCU. Um, but Georgia kind of used that kind of public momentum from a close game against Alabama, which I think was the most fraudulent thing ever, trying to claim that a close loss warranted a playoff berth. But, like, Georgia finished ahead of, of Ohio State in the college football playoff rankings, the final rankings last year, even though Oklahoma got the fourth spot. And Urban Meyer's like, well, why are we scheduling these tough games? Why am I playing a conference championship game if it doesn't matter? So, yeah. anyway... Every year's a different deal. There's a lot of football left to be played, as weird as it sounds, as we enter week 10. But I just, I, I just think it's really interesting. And I think to your point, Justin, like, I do think eventually it's going to have to get to eight because whether it's the Pac-12, whether it's the group of five conferences, you know, kind of complaining. Um, you know, if we have a scenario where, like you said, Alabama and LSU get in and Alabama maybe only has one win against a ranked, ranked opponent or, you know, say it's Auburn, um, there's going to be a lot of unhappy people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, I continue to bang the drum. I think the, the, the Pac-12 is the uh, uh, the best under-respected conference in the country, <laughs> if that well, makes any and sense. I think you've probably seen me tweet this, Justin, but it's like, you know, Clemson covers up a lot of warts for the ACC. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is an argument that I've made, you know, many different places. If If Clemson were to lose a game, and by the way, they're another great example of, of the you know what the, of the brand of college football or the brand of Trevor Lawrence could mean for a playoff spot. If Clemson were to lose a game, not only would a one-loss Pac-12 champ have unquestionably a better resume than them, not only would a one-loss non-SEC or non-Big Ten champ have a better resume than them, you could make a legitimate case, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that teams from the AAC, like SMU, uh, whoever else is in the mix there, I'm blanking off Memphis yeah. off the top of my head. But like those teams will have a better resume than Clemson. So anyway, I'm just rambling at this point. I'm just getting all my college football playoff thoughts out <laughs> in this like last two minutes of the segment. But I just think it's just going to be so fascinating because. But I will say, like, say what you want about the Pac-12, but there is no doubt that it is a better conference top to bottom than at least the ACC, and you could probably make a compelling case for the Big 12 right now, too. I agree. I've said as much, and I totally agree with you. I think, I think SEC, uh, the Big 10, and the Pac-12 are probably your 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 three best top-to-bottom conferences, if you're going top-to-bottom. But Yeah, um, I agree. Anyways, he's Aaron Torres, and uh, terrific stuff in college basketball, college football. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, make sure you guys are hopping on the podcast there. Send him some questions on Twitter. He'll get to them. Um, read his stuff today, post it on Scoop Duck. And, Aaron, we appreciate your time, and we're definitely going to bring you back on, man. Hoops is hoops is coming. I called it earlier with, with Matt. I said this is the golden triangle of sports right now. you got basketball coming up. you got football going. you got baseball still going right now. It's the golden triangle of sports, man. It is. Don't ask me for any baseball analysis. I kind of forgot there was a World <laughs> Series game last night. Don't be mad at me. Uh, well, you probably didn't see my tweet. This I I said the only reason I was watching because I thought I might see some boobs behind home plate, which didn't happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's as good a reason as any, man. Yeah, it is. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on. We'll have you on again, my man. T- thanks, guys. Thanks, brother. That was fun. Aaron's a good guy, man. Yeah, well-spoken. I mean, he had a lot to share. I think, I think the great thing is he kind of gave us some perspective outside of just Oregon – football Oregon basketball you know hey here's here's some playoffs talk here's some other things going on here's 
you know, here's some insight to UCLA basketball. Uh, you know, I mean, just things like that. Right. Made a lot of good points. So we've hit the two hour mark on this, Wowzers. which is which is normally a red flag for me. Yeah. Um, do you want to do the world's quickest five games ever? World's quickest five games. We still got to do uh, lock of the week at I least. Know. Yeah, we got. I know. But that's. I mean, honestly, we can do all of that in four to five minutes if okay. we really wanted to. I don't believe we can. I do. But, okay. all right. but it's worth a shot. Well, we definitely got to do the five games of the week to get it going. So all I right. guess we should go to that. Five games. Five games. Uh, I think I've made you go first last couple weeks. I don't remember. Go ahead. Okay. Either way. Well, yeah. I mean, we didn't do one last no, week. You, you go. We'll see what we get. Obviously, world's biggest cocktail party, Georgia, Florida. Right. Um, and then I've got two Pac-12 games. Just for context, I want to see Washington, Utah, because are the Huskies going to have another Pac-12 loss, or is, are, are, is Utah going to drop down a peg? Like, what's going to happen there? lot of implications for the Ducks. Oregon State, Arizona, same reason. Right now, yep. believe it or not, Oregon State second in the Pac-12 North. So I want to see that game just to see how long they can hold up that end of the bargain. And then uh, Memphis, SMU. Yep. The crowd, college game day, the, the scenery there, I love that. And... Uh, just for the story, just seeing their growth, I like Baylor, West Virginia. Oh wow! So I only have one that you haven't mentioned so far. Let's so, but and I'll get to that one. Let's rewind it. Georgia, Florida. Uh, Georgia is a six and a half point favorite. That's pretty crazy to me. So I think that says a lot. I, I honestly still am not all in on Florida. I think Georgia rolls on that one. Twelve thirty on CBS. You got Utah and Washington. Uh, like you said, that's an important game in the Pac-12. Utah is a three and a half point favorite in that one i think they whoop up on washington personally that one's at one o'clock on fox uh smu memphis i'm a huge huge mike norvell fan memphis head coach was a huge fan of his as an offensive coordinator at asu i think memphis rolls there they're a six point favorite over smu although i am very uh respectful and appreciative of the job uh coach dykes has done down at smu this year so uh that one's 4 30 at abc I did write down OSU and Zona. Uh, Arizona's a six-point favorite in that one, surprisingly enough. Yeah, well, they blew them out last year, so they, that's probably why. They did. I, you know, I don't know. Arizona's terrible. I don't know why they get – but, okay. So, anyways, I guess that really just – I don't know. OSU and Zona, and Zona's a six-point favorite, probably because it's at home. One uh, thirty on the Pac-12 network, so nobody's going to get to watch that one. The only game I had, you didn't. <laughs> uh, Miami versus FSU. Yeah, I just – I, I the really, battle for Florida. Right. No, well, right. it was the battle for Florida. It was. I, I really liked Miami to start the year. Right. And then they lose that Florida game, yep. and it pretty much nukes any chance they have of having a good season. Well, and, they just haven't played good since, really. They've right. had some ups and downs. and They have some players. Yeah. They don't have a team. Right. And It's Clay Helton of the ACC. Oh, yeah. Very, oh, yeah. Very much. And then Florida State, I, I don't know how you can – consider them good football it's it's only fun to watch if you're rooting for the nightmare that they're going through here's how bad uh miami is florida state's favored by three and a half in that one wow oh my god yeah so they're i don't know i mean those those are two programs miami versus fsu both of them are entering this unranked so you got smu go rewind to august you've got smu and memphis 
both ranked inside the top 25 about to play this weekend. The same weekend you have Miami versus FSU and neither of them's ranked. I mean, go back and say that out loud to yourself in August. And Florida might lose this week. And Florida, yeah, Florida's going to lose. So you have you have the three powerhouse programs in the state for college football, like like all the NFL talent. It's not coming out of Texas; it's coming out of Florida. Right. And all three of those programs are down this year. They're about to take an L. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, who knew that UCF would be the freaking perennial powerhouse of the state of Florida? Right. All the kids wanting to go to Disneyland. Go figure. Yeah, go yeah. figure. So anyways, I had Miami versus F- FSUS 12:30 on ABC. I think that'll be a game some Oregon fans tune into, at least the ones that aren't going to SoCal. So there's your five games, people. It wasn't great picks. It wasn't a ton. There's not a ton of action in the Pac-12. The biggest game in the Pac-12 is our own yeah. Oregon versus USC, really. Which I feel like we could have said for a month now. Yeah. That's I mean, a testament to the Ducks. Utah versus Washington will be a good game. I still think Utah whoops up on them, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Utah always has that game where you're like, what? And it was against Oregon a couple of years ago with Braxton Burmeister, and you're like, what? How did you lose that? Oh, you're ta- you're talking that game. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just meant Utah always has a second half of the season game that's like, how the heck did where, – where is Utah? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe they have that against Washington. Washington needs to win. Because they, they got, I mean, they got Utah. They still have Washington State left, who looked good. I mean, they always beat Washington State, but they looked good last weekend. So, I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. There's five games. Yeah. Trying to avoid the Red Box Bowl. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, there's five games. But now, to wrap up, because we've been going on a super-duper podcast, uh, Matt and I are Four gonna, incredible guests. Yeah, four. They were all really good, yeah. But uh, it's time to do Lock of the Week and Player of the Week. Okay, so lock of the week. This is tough because I always whiff and then you nail it on the head. But lock of the week, Ducks against USC. Right. I'm going to mimic what what QB11 and all of us talked about earlier. I think the Ducks D-line terrorizes USC. I think they get a lot of sacks, and and I think this is a four- or five-sack game. Oh, four or five. So... What's your lock of the week? They get at least four, or we'll they get five. We'll say we'll say they get four. Okay, we'll say they get four. You're gonna say Oregon gets four sacks on this week for, and I'm not saying that's bad. I actually was gonna go defense, but since you did, I'll I'll flip it over. And it's a big one though. It's 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 I, again with the way things transpired last week and just the way things have been building. I'm gonna I'm gonna call so this will par, I'll parlay. I'm gonna call another 300 yard rushing performance for Oregon. Wow, this week they'll they'll get. 300 yards or more on the ground and i'm saying Verdell will have 200 of them when they send you a copy of the game plan did, did they like did they like give you a picture of it do they laminate it do you get a pdf yeah. how's that work they tell me what i can and can't talk about no i just i think uh <laughs> i i think there's two things there oregon's gonna oregon's going to be able to move them around up front at least offensive line versus defensive line i think that's going to be first and foremost secondly um, you know, I believe that it's going to come to a point maybe in the second half where Oregon uh, might be in control of the game. doesn't mean USC won't surge, but Oregon might be in control of the game and, and will stick to the ground for a little bit and pile up those yards and try to, uh, <clears throat> quote-unquote, take the air out of the football. Yeah. I mean, the best way to beat USC is to keep the football out of their hands, mm-hmm. plain and simple. So uh, I think if you're Mario Cristobal, you try to give them as few chances as you can to uh, really showcase those NFL-wide receivers they have. No doubt. Run the damn ball. All right, player of the game. Well, I, I kind of you know shot myself in the foot there. C.J. Verdell has over 200 rush yards. I think he's player of the game, Okay, and I think he should be. I think he's going to have another big week. Um, 
you know, I, I do, it won't surprise me if USC comes up in the box eventually to try to stop them. But with Juwan Johnson out there blocking, in addition to the way the tight ends have been blocking, in addition to the offensive line, uh, you know, I'm I'm going I'm going to roll with Verdell. He's the hot hand. Just going to do it. Okay. And for me, when I think about a passing team that's leaning on a freshman quarterback and a backup at that, I think about turnovers. Yeah. And who's going to be the beneficiary there? Javon Holland. Man. Yeah. Playing center field, spotting the eyes of the quarterback. I think he could have a fun day. I almost went there, and I'll, on the heels of what you're saying, here's here's my last point on it. Thomas Graham, Diamador Lenore, both Los Angeles natives. Oh, yeah. They're going to play their freaking asses off this weekend. I, I don't know if those guys are player of the game, right. but most important player, hell yeah. They're going to have a big impact on this game. They're going to take – they're going to be playing in front of a ton of – friends and family and they're going to take a lot of pride in doing their absolute best to try and slow down these receivers which is not an easy task i'm not saying they will i'm saying that they're going to take a lot of pride in that and oregon needs them to oregon do that. needs them to do that yeah, yeah i mean you're gonna you're gonna absolutely uh, there there are not two more important well discounting justin herbert there aren't two more important players on this team than thomas graham and diamador lenore this weekend i completely agree yeah completely but agree if they do their jobs like you are alluding to that leaves javon holland back there to uh well patrol the middle yeah, yeah. all you got to do is watch the qb's eyes and find yeah. that football he's ball, awfully good at it ball hawk and holland yeah yeah is that the nickname uh, no i don't know i just came i up like that just, one it works huh? yeah it jives yeah well, he's been awesome this yeah. year talk about jives he's been jiving yeah. out there on the duck d so I think the Ducks beat USC. I know you think the Ducks beat USC. You know, I haven't gone with a prediction yet, and I've just I haven't put anything on the board. I haven't said anything on here. I've just gone. I've kind of been in the middle, and you know, I I don't know. I'm 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 actually on, honestly still thinking about it. He's decked out in green and yellow while he says this, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Just just leaving that out there. Yeah. Uh, still time for Justin to make his prediction. Check that out, scoopduck.com. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for reaching out over the past week. Yep. I just got overworked. I got swamped. We, we had a, a, a horrible technical difficulty that knocked my radio station off the air for about a week. <laughs> and, and I was scrambling trying to fix it with my hair on fire. So I wasn't able to do it, do the pod, but we're back. This is probably the biggest, longest, uh, deepest pod we've ever done. Yeah. And uh, I hope you listen and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks guys.